Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 6. We're going to start from verse 66 and read all the way up to verse 69. So just about three, four verses here that I want to talk about as we talk about new commitments. As you know, Two weeks back in part one, we talked about the importance of new convictions. And why is that important for us? Because as we start a whole new season coming out of the pandemic, and we're still kind of in it now, and I don't know what wave it is now, maybe fourth or fifth wave, that uh, we are really asking God what is new, and we need to get rooted in some of the convictions that we believe in, that we're willing to give our lives for. And that's what we talked about, God's love for us. If you're not convinced of that, then everything else that we try to do is going to be either a human paradigm of works, trying to earn favor with God, which a lot of other religions try to do, or we're just going to depend on ourselves, going to think to ourselves that it's all about us, and it's not. And then part two, we talked about the importance of new community, how you and I, we were created for community, this human connection. We see that in who God is with everything that he did throughout history. And especially in Acts chapter 2, we see the early church and this new community that brought the Jewish people and the Gentiles, the non-Jews together. Even though there was animosity and hatred, the Bible says that Christ, when he died on the cross, he broke the dividing walls, the walls of hostility, and now two have become one. And God is piece by piece and brick by brick is building up a whole new community. And so that's something that we talked about and we emphasize. And as we talk about new commitments, I just wanted to start off and ask the question. I'm wondering how many of you know the difference of being interested and committed? Let me just let that sit for a little bit. What is the difference between being interested and being committed? And as I was thinking about this question for myself, I realized that just think about all the hobbies, all the different projects that you started off with because you were what? Interested, but you never finished because you were not committed. Then I was thinking about all the things that we say that we were going to do, words that were the promises we make, because it sounds like a pretty good event. So I might come. So that is what something that you are interested in. But if you don't show up after you sign up, then you're not what? Committed to what you said you're going to do. Now, ladies, this one is especially for you. You got to pay attention. Some of y'all think that we're just preaching the Bible about Jesus. We are, but we also want to give you some life principles and help you in life. Not just for the women, but for the men. But this one is especially for you. Ladies, do you know when a guy is interested and when he's committed? If you don't know, please, you better know and talk to somebody. Just because they take you out for a drink or just because they're having dinner with you doesn't necessarily mean they are what? Committed. Mm-hmm. Wow, we got some convictions over here. Some of the sisters are like, uh-huh. See, see, they're interested, but they're not committed. And you know what the problem is? They could be interested not only in you and five other women. And so here you are thinking, oh, wow, he's interested in me. But that will not lead to a commitment. And this is the reason why so many of you get hurt over and over and over again. Men, this is for you. 
a woman might be interested in you because she kind of touches her hair and kind of <laughs> laughs at your jokes. But that doesn't necessarily mean she's committed to you. There's a lot of different things going on. She might be insecure. She likes the intention. She's a little bit flirty. She's doing all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Some of you are like, she loves, no, she doesn't. I always have to tell these brothers, no, she doesn't. Doesn't work that way. When someone is committed, there's a lot of stuff that's involved. But once again, do you know the difference between being interested and being committed? I think with the tragic death of Kobe Bryant in January 20th, uh, 2020, his popular Mamba mentality just kind of went viral even further. It was already popular, but it went even further. Those of you who might not know what a Mamba mentality is, it's, it's this alter ego of this black Mamba. And those of you who don't know what a mama, Mamba, I said, I said Mama. If you don't know what a Mamba is, it, it, it's, it's a, a certain type of snake with a, a very strong venom that could kill you. And it's very aggressive. And it fights with mongoose and all these other different animals. And so the mama mentality is pretty much the way he described it as every single day you get up and you choose and you make a commitment to be better than you were yesterday. So it's this constant improving. It's this constant getting better because you will never, you don't want to be satisfied. You want to be the best in everything that you do. And so Nike, as some of you know, they sponsored him while he was playing basketball uh, made a tribute to Kobe, and he kind of they made se several commercials honoring the life of Kobe and how his men uh, Mamba mentality actually influenced so many different people and the level of commitment that he had in order to live out this Mamba mentality. I mean, it's it's a powerful thing when you find someone who's not just interested but who's committed. And so I'm going to show you this video. And like I said, this is a video of just a couple of videos kind of meshed in together. And some of you will recognize the first one is all the famous athletes just saying their take on who Kobe was to them and as a competitor. And at the end, it was a, a commercial that was made. And with Lamar Kendrick, those of you who know who he is, in the background speaking and talking about this Mamba mentality and the impact that it has. So let's watch this together. All I know is that um, many of you might never become an athlete like that to that level. But I'm just wondering, what is it about someone like him with this Mamba mentality that inspires? See, Kobe wasn't just interested in basketball. He was committed. He wasn't just interested in helping other people, but he was committed. He wasn't just interested in becoming a better father, but he was committed, as many of you know the story about his relationship with his daughters. Everything that he did was not so much he was interested, but because he was committed. I'm wondering what would it be like if every single one of us who claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ lived with this Mamba mentality. That every single day we want to get better. And the only problem is that a lot of times in this mama mentality, it's really about works oriented. So that's where I would caution you because sometimes it's about what I can do, what I want to try to prove to other people. 
But the point that I'm trying to make as a Christ follower is that the reason why we do anything in life is because of what God did for us first. That's why I keep on saying this is the difference between Christianity and all other religions in this world, including humanism, your self-determinism, whatever it may be that you worship. Because a lot of us, it's all about us and us going to heaven because we have to earn it. But Christianity says that you cannot earn anything. You and I have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus had to come to this earth and live a perfect life that you and I could not live. And we will never be able to live this perfect life. That's why we need Jesus who lived the perfect life. Because God had to punish sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he punished sin on our behalf. That was our sins. We should have been crucified on the cross. Because we have sinned against the holy God. But Jesus took our place. So what is something, that, when we look at this Christianity, it's something that's already done, and now we just receive it by faith. While all other religion is still doing things. Well, does that mean, Pastor, that we don't have to do anything? Of course not. Because it's already done, our hearts are filled with gratitude. We're forever grateful. Now our motivation is different. We don't do things to earn something from God, but we do things because we have already received all these things that we don't deserve. That's the gospel message. And I think the temptation to go to either extremes, like I don't have to do anything now, or go to that still as the believer in Jesus Christ, you still have this works mentality. The temptation is if I could just do all these things, then these things should happen. And that's not how it works. One of the things you have to understand is God is going to work in your life, whether you like it or not. Can I get a good amen to that? He's going to work in your life. Even when you're rebellious, when you're hardened in your heart, you're apathetic, you don't care, you're selfish, self-centered, and all you think about is your own lust and your own pleasure. Even in the midst of that situation, God will still work in your life because he is committed to you. He's not just interested in you. He is committed to you. So when you think about that, and then you put it in the context of spiritual growth, the reason why we want to grow spiritually is because we want to become more like Jesus Christ. And not only because we want to become more like Jesus Christ, but it's a partnership together. God is working in us, and as he's working in us, we respond to him by doing the things that we ought to do to help us to grow. But sadly, I think for many of us, we are just interested in this Christianity and this Jesus, but not committed. And I'm speaking to those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. You can say you're committed, but words are cheap. Look at your life. That will really tell you if you're just interested or you're committed. I think this is the reason why for many of us who are just interested in Christianity, it's so easy for us to push our relationship with Jesus on the side when things get busy. You're not committed. I was just thinking about that. What if I did that with the things that I'm committed to? You know what? This week, I've been really busy watching a lot of Netflix. And I've been really busy just drinking coffee and hanging out and relaxing. You know what? I'm interested in preparing a sermon, but I really don't want to. You know, Christina, like, and, and the family... I, like, 
I'm committed to you, but not really. I'm just interested. I'm, I'm glad that I could say I'm a husband and a father. So this week, I'm not going to talk to you guys. I mean, think about the logic. That's what I'm trying to encourage you. Can you imagine doing that at the workplace? Boss? Big boss? I'm really interested in this work and this company. It's really interesting. But you know what? This week, I just don't want to touch anything. So can you not ask me to do anything? I guarantee you, um, our offerings will go down. Why? Because you will not have a job. You're going to get fired. Professor, that's really interesting derivative. That's really interesting. Oh, I see. The isotope in that, uh-huh. Organic chemist chemistry, you know, those, those really easy classes. Huh. I'm just saying, but you know what? I'm not gonna take the I'm not gonna do any homework and I am not gonna do any examination. So take it or leave it, professor. You will flunk and you will get kicked out of school. What I'm trying to say is this: there are many of us who are interested in a lot of things. But that does not equate to being committed. Many of us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, you are interested in Jesus. You're interested in church. You're interested in serving. You're interested in his cause, but you're not committed. And once again, it's not what you try to desire but it shows in your action because in all other areas of your life, if you try to pull that stunt, you will be either fired, you will be, you will flunk out of school, or you will have poor relationships, and the list goes on and on and on. This is the reason why, well, rather than really living for Jesus, being committed, what do we do in our interest of who this Jesus is? We always make excuses. Now, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'll, I'll be the one raising my hand. How many of you know somebody who's always making excuses about something, that, and especially in their relationship with Jesus? Uh, why aren't you doing your Bible reading? You know, you know what? It's been really busy, man. It's been tough. You know, uh, have you been praying? No, man, it's been hard to even pray. But, but there's no problem spending two hours at the gym. Now, please don't get me wrong. Please do work out. You know, it, it, might, it might be a little upgrade, you know, so but yeah, go ahead. It'll, it'll, it'll work for you. But what I'm trying to say is this, working out is more important to you and it's more of a priority than your relation with God, which are, are eternal things. Trust me, trust me, your body will go down, okay? As you get older. So, here we are investing all our time, energy, and everything that we have on things that are temporal. And then the things that are eternal, we just don't care. Or we don't make the investments that we need to. I love what Ken Blanchard said in his famous book, The One Minute Manager. And so he writes this. He says, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you are interested in doing something, you do it only when it is what? Come on, say that word. Convenient. Oh, come on. 
you know that you are interested in something, it's because you only do it when it's convenient for you. Oh, yeah, I guess I have some time. You're not committed. You're interested. Oh, yeah, I guess I have some resource. I could bless somebody. You're not committed to generosity in the gospel. You're just interested. Convenience, I think, is one of the clearest signs that somebody is just interested, but they're not committed. Because when things are hard, when things are busy, when you have a lot of other stuff that you have to attend to, but you still make the time, give the energy to do something, then you're committed. He continues and he says this, when you are committed to something, you accept no excuses. Because you believe in it. You're willing to give your life for it. I think this is so true of us. When we're interested, we only do things when it is convenient. This is how it is with our relationship with God. If we just had more time, if we had this, then we'll do it. Today, I want to talk about the importance of making a commitment, a new commitment. A new commitment to follow Jesus. But it's not by human effort alone. It's not something that you do, but it's a response to what God has already done for us. That's why the motivation has to be different as we make commitments and live out the commitments that God has placed in our lives. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that our amazement of Jesus fuels our commitment to Jesus. That our amazement of Jesus fuels our commitment to Jesus. I'm going to specifically talk about commitment, and I'm going to approach it from two different angles as we look at this passage. And I think it's important because many of us, we kind of skip over some of these important parts of the Bible that are hard to really interpret or to understand, but I think we need to understand this, especially as we talk about commitment. The first thing that I want to talk about is this, that we must be challenged in our commitment. Whatever commitment that you have made or whatever commitment that you're going to make, it always has to be challenged. I don't think it will actually be a genuine conviction that leads to some kind of commitment that causes you to persevere in something unless it is challenged. Unless that particular commitment, whatever it may be, it could range anything from marriage to like deciding to go into this major or this particular job or whatever it is. I'm telling you right now, your commitment will always be challenged. So let me just kind of give us a little bit uh, of a bird's eye view, a really quick overview of just this calling of Jesus towards the followers of Jesus. If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus called people to follow him. It wasn't a program. It wasn't like a particular religion, but he says, come follow me. And then he calls the 12 disciples. And it was interesting because when he called the 12 disciples, it was as if Jesus was inviting them into a lifestyle. Come into my life. Watch. Come and see, he would say, as he invited them into this discipleship relationship. Look at in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. This is what it says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is also called, or who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and the John, his brother. And in the boat with Zebedee, his father, mending their nets, he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here's Jesus inviting them to come. And sometimes we kind of miss out on those number of hours or days or even weeks or months. It's just the disciples recording this. But all I can say is that it's not like he goes, come follow me. And they're like, yeah, I guess I'm going to follow you. It's not like that. It was about a relationship. So I'm sure that as they talked together, as they got to know one another, they realized, I want to follow this man. Whoever this guy is, he claims to be this Messiah and bringing in this kingdom of God. And as the 12 disciples were following Jesus, they quickly realized that the calling to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus was not going to be easy. Can you imagine how many times Jesus, as he was teaching to the crowds, the disciples were there listening. If you remember in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36, read the yellow section with me. It says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, for my sake and the gospels, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What he's simply saying is this, stop living for yourself. To take up your cross and follow him means that you're, you're willingly denying yourself. You're, you're dying to your own self and living for something greater. Can you imagine as one of the 12 disciples, you're hearing all these teachings are like, yeah, I'm sure some of them are like, wait, are you sure we, we know what we're doing? <laughs> uh, do you know what we're getting ourselves into? I'm sure some of these guys got proud and said, yeah, we're taking up our cross. What's up with y'all? You know, what's up with you guys? Who knows? But the interesting part is there were many followers who were wanting to be part of what Jesus was doing, but they did not understand the cost that was involved in following him. That's why Jesus later on in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, listen to what he writes. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He's interested. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his nest. Pretty much what he's saying is like, if you're going to follow me, your life is going to really not look good. To another, he, he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim it. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? Like this, we're talking about we're journeying with Jesus. And the disciples follow Jesus and then they're hearing these types of teaching as he's speaking to the crowd. So you got to try to imagine what are they thinking? Are they thinking like, uh oh, we messed up, we followed the wrong dude? Or are they really excited, like, wow, this Jesus is like, he's he's crazy, he's radical. And we want to follow him. And then in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, I, I always say this is this is like the killer. He says, now a great crowd, so a lot of people who are interested. 
a great crowd accompanied him and turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but by this time, I'm out. Every Chinese person who likes to celebrate Chinese New Year with their family, they're out. Now, some of you who are not really churched and you came, you're probably thinking, this is a crazy religion. Why did I come with my friend today? So let me explain. He is not saying literally hate your father or mother or brother or sister. But what he's saying is that your love for Jesus should be so much greater that it seems like you're hating your mother and father and your brother and sister. Because Jesus is all about relationships. He even told people to take care of his mother when he was dying on the cross. So he, he, he's not against relationships. He's not saying mothers and fathers and sisters and are not important. That's not what he's saying. He, what he's saying is you following Jesus is so 100% committed that people who see you, they will seem as if you hate your mother and father. It's amazing how Jesus was constantly challenging people to give up their own dreams and their own selfish desires because there was something greater. This is why as they followed Jesus, they saw the miracles of God, the power of God. They probably thought to themselves, is it, they're probably thinking, is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth making this kind of commitment that he's asking people to make? I'm sure they thought about that. And I think all of us to some extent can agree. There are these fleeting moments sometimes in my life when I think to myself, like, what would it be like if I decided not to become a Christian some 30-some years ago? And what if, like, I didn't decide to be a pastor? You know, so you start dreaming a little bit, you know, daydreaming. Then you're thinking, I could have built a house with glass and look at the stars every single night. Have, have my own wine cellar. Be surrounded by mountains. Thinking about all the different cars that you can have in your garage. You don't even have to look at the price tag of anything. You, if you want it, you like it, you just buy it. I'm thinking, why am I leading a church? I should be le leading a company. And making a boatload of money. And God, I will tithe, I promise. I get this way when sometimes when I read a lot of these articles on business or whatever it is, and they're saying the same thing that I've been saying for years. I'm just like, they just get paid for it. Me, people, if they want to listen, they do, you know. But those are the moments where I have to think to myself, is this really worth it? Doing what I do. Is it really worth it believing in what I believe? That's why I want you to look at John chapter 6. And this is so important as we think about how our commitments are being challenged. Because this is how Jesus called the disciples. There were a lot of interested people, but they were not committed. So look at John chapter 6, verse 66 through 67. I'm just going to read these two verses. It says, after this, I'm going to pause here for a moment. 
after this, now some of you might be thinking, well, after what? Well, let me explain first. Let me read these two verses. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I want you to notice that phrase that I told you to pause on after this. It is very important because what happened before this section played a major part or major role in Jesus asking this question. You do not want to leave too, do you? Or you don't want to walk away as well, do you? So if you quickly look at John chapter 6, starting from verse 22, all the way through, going up to verse 65. If you quickly look at John chapter 6, starting from verse 22 and on, we notice that Jesus is talking about him being the bread of life. And the thing is that so many people, they were so spiritually dull, they could not understand what Jesus was referring to. Jesus is a bread of life. You're a bread? What is this? What, what is going on? Same thing in John chapter 3 when he was talking about you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, born again? How can you be born and go back into the womb and then born again? Like, they just didn't get it. So here's Jesus talking about being the bread of life. And Jesus was trying to help them to see that they were only following him because he fed them. Because earlier he fed 5,000. Look at what it says in John chapter 6, verse 26 to 27. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. I don't know about you, but every single time I read the Bible, if I was one of those, I would have probably like, huh? You know, because Jesus is saying all this metaphoric and uh, metaphorical, uh, parabolic type of phrases. And you sit there like, whoa, that's deep. Whoa, I don't understand you. You know, when sometimes your parents or other people are like telling you things, you go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Then they go, what, what am I trying to say? Uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't know. Like he, Jesus is talking to him, like, you guys are just following me because I just fed you, but you don't understand that I'm the one who is the source of all things, and I'm the one who could feed you, and this is where you're going to find eternal life. They're like, huh? So now, we see in verse 35, so clearly, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What he's saying is this, I am the one that can fulfill your heart and your soul. Everything you're looking for, you're going to get and you're going to get hungry again. You're going to get thirsty again. You're going to desire again. But if you find, if you, if you receive this by faith, that me as the person who's ushering in the kingdom of God, you will never thirst. You will never hunger because I will fulfill your heart's desire. But people couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to say. And in fact, they were thinking that he was promoting cannibalism. Really? This is how crazy it is. If you read that whole chapter, it's like, drink of my blood, uh -huh. eat of my body, huh? That's why in verse 60, okay, listen to me carefully, because these are all the stuff that after this, in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, heard all the stuff he was talking about, the bread of life and the blood, everything, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Let me give you some other translations to help you to make sense of this. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, 
This is a difficult and harsh and offensive statement. Who can be expected to listen to it? The Passion Translation says this, and when many of Jesus' followers heard these things, it caused a stir. That's disgusting. To eat of your body? To drink of your blood? Disgusting. How can anyone accept it? What they were realizing, listen to me carefully, what they were realizing was that it was hard and offensive teaching because Jesus was rejecting their desire to make him into a political king. Come on now, you, you, gotta, you gotta follow me, you gotta listen carefully. Those who have been with our church, you, you gotta put everything together. When Jesus came, many of these Jewish people were expecting this earthly king to come and reestablish and restore the glory of Israel. But when Jesus came, he came as a humble servant. He didn't look anything like a king. He was a carpenter of a carpenter's son. And in the book of Isaiah, it talks about there was no beauty in him that drew people to him. So can you imagine the mind was discombobulated because they're thinking to themselves, like, wait a minute, a king? Wait a minute, no. No. So here they are following Jesus, and all of a sudden, as he makes this declaration about being the bread of life, there are many people like, that's, that's disgusting. I, I'm not going to follow you. Because their desire was that they wanted this political king to come and destroy all their enemies and rule over Israel. And what Jesus was trying to say was he was demanding. This is important. He was demanding for their personal faith in him for salvation. Not in a political king, not in your own works, not in your goodness and what you can do for God, but what Jesus wanted was their life. That everything in this world will pass away, but you're the only one that can give us eternal life. That's what he demanded from them. So when he gave this hard teaching, they refused. They rejected Jesus being the serving king. They rejected and refused to receive him because they would have to give up their own dreams and desires. He was challenging them to trust in the work of God for salvation and not in good works. And that's the point we see in verse 66 as we have read. That many disciples turn back and no longer walk with him. Listen to some of these other translations. You read the yellow section with me. In the Passion Translation, it says this. And so from that time on, many of the disciples turned their backs on Jesus and what? Come on. Refused to be associated with him. The Amplified Version says this. As a result of this, many of his disciples abandoned him and no longer walk with him. Can I ask you? What are some things in your life that Jesus is challenging you with? To maybe give up. To maybe surrender. So that you can have the fullness of life that he's promising you. And some of you cannot accept it. And you're like, you know what, Jesus, I'll still be interested in you, but I'm not going to be committed. See, Christianity is fun and it's cool when you have community, when you can have everything you want and Jesus. 
You could have your future dream of being a millionaire and doing all this stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's your heart's desire. That's what you live for. That's what you dream about. That's why you study so hard. That's why you work so hard. But at least also I have Jesus. He's kind of like my sidekick, like little, you know, he's my boot. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of like sticking in, uh uh-huh, whenever I need you. He's telling you to get rid of that victim mentality. Yes, you've been hurt, but there are thousands and millions of other people who have been hurt. For you to continue to play the victim, you're never going to change. You're never going to grow. Satan has you in a, in, in a headlock because you blame everyone else but to look at yourself in your anger because you've sinned against God in your anger. You've sinned against other people in your anger. And God is saying, let it go. Surrender it. And you're just like, you know what? I'm going to hold this and then, then I'll have it. I'm interested in you, Jesus, because when I really need you, I'll pull you out. But I still want to hold on to this. There are so many things in your life and in my life that we hold on to. And what Jesus is looking for is, are you willing to let everything go? Because you're not interested in Jesus, but you're committed to him. In light of what he has done for you and what he has done for me. That's why he's asking us the same thing this morning. You're not going to leave too, are you? That's why in verse 67, Jesus turns to the call when he says, you're not going to leave. Go away as well. It's because they were tempted in that moment to go back to their old life. Yeah, why are we doing this now? I don't know about you, but if I put myself in the situation and we're with a big crowd, let's just say our church right here. And all of a sudden, people started leaving. And the number is getting smaller and smaller. I don't know how many of us in this room will still believe that Jesus is the best way, the only way, and we're willing to look like a fool and lay everything down. I think if I could be honest here, majority of us, we're just, we just follow people. We follow the world. It's just easier, isn't it? Don't stick out. Be like everyone else. Don't be ridiculed. Don't, no one will make fun of you then. You care more about other people's opinion and thoughts of you than what God thinks of you. I think it would have probably shaken a lot of our faith and even caused us to think about leaving Jesus as well. How about us this morning? I'm wondering what are some commitments that you've made to Jesus recently or maybe in the past? Are you still sticking with him? Or were you just interested? And it sounded so good because you had to send it out to a couple people to be accountable. Do you believe in it? I'm wondering what are some ways Jesus is challenging you in your commitment? Because remember, he challenges us in that commitment. I love you, Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life. He's going to test you. He's going to challenge you. Do you really love me? I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do this because I love you, Jesus. You're going to be challenged in that. Oh, I'm going to commit to life group. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to this person. You're going to be challenged in that. 
every commitment you make, there will be challenges. Not, not only because God is testing you to purify your heart and to show you who you are so you could repent and turn to Him, but also we have an enemy who's constantly trying to derail us away from the things of God. So He's going to tempt you. He's going to do things so that it's easier to be interested and still look like you are committed, but you're not, rather than being fully committed to Jesus. So that's the first thing. That we must understand that our commitments, they will be challenged. The second last thing is simply this, that we must be convinced of our commitment. See, part of being convinced of a commitment is because you've been challenged with that commitment. And this is what's going to help us to really understand this amazement of who Jesus is. It's going to fuel our commitment to him. Let's finish off and read verse 68 and 69. It says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You notice Peter, the outspoken one, he speaks up on behalf of all the other disciples, and he says, Jesus, Lord, Lord to whom shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Just from Peter's response, I want you to quickly notice this. This is important. Just from Peter's response, we begin to notice that the disciples were convinced of several things. The first thing is this, that Jesus was the source. He was the ultimate source. Peter realized that he gave up everything to follow Jesus. Therefore, there was nowhere else to go. Where do we have to go? We, we, we have given up everything. And we did it because you have promised us this eternal life. The disciples probably tried to follow all the, this is important, listen to me. Before meeting Jesus, they were trying to do all the rules and regulation of Judaism. And it is burdensome, it is heavy. Things you could do, things that you cannot do, things that you must try to worship, things. I mean, there's so many laws, thousands of laws. Can you imagine trying to keep all that in your mind? They were probably overwhelmed with things that they got to do. That when Jesus says that it's going to be done because I am Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Can you imagine? It's almost like that burden lifted up. That's why Jesus told the crowd, all you are weary and heavy burden, come unto me. And he says, I will give you rest. Can you imagine anyone hearing that who's feeling burdened, overwhelmed with so many things? Like, if, if that's true, I want to give my life to that. And I'm wondering if that's how you see Jesus, that he is the only one that can give you this eternal life. He is the source of all things good. Peter knew it. He says, to whom shall we go to now? We tried everything. We've done everything. We tried to obey the law. It just didn't work. And that's why we've given our life to this. Where else can we go to? But you know what the problem is for many of us? We give our lives to Jesus because we're interested. But when things get hard, we're like, okay, we turn to other things. We turn to ourselves. We turn to the worldly things. Some of us right now, you are so insecure and you long for affirmation. Instead of finding that in the truth of God's word, what do you, you find it in relationships? Just to look at the way you do relationships. Some of you use other people just to affirm what about yourself because you're so insecure. 
So pretty much you're a self-centered, selfish person who uses other people for your own gain. You think relationship will flourish in that context? It will not. You're going to hurt people in our church. And as a lead pastor, I will not tolerate that kind of stuff because you're going to hurt people, the sheep in our, in, in our pasture here. That's part of being a member in our church. The pastor Bo and I were called to try to protect our sheep, to help you to grow. That's why we will challenge you. We're not going to say all the nice things. We're going to challenge you, but still love you and speak truth to you. So your diet will not just be made out of candy, but carrots, broccoli, things that you love so much. Do you see Jesus as the source? You know what else we see from his response? Jesus was substantiated. If you don't know that word, it means that he was validated. He was made true. What he said was true. If you look at verse 69, you will notice the phrase like believed, have come to know, and it says you are. Listen to these other translations. Read this message translation at least with me. It says this. You've what? Already committed ourselves. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. See, They've already committed themselves. They weren't just interested. They already committed themselves. And now they're confident. The Amplified Version says this. We have believed and confidently trusted. And even more, we have come to know by, this is the, the brackets, listen, by personal observation and experience that you are the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to focus on that. By personal observation and experience. They weren't just going to church and getting all this head knowledge and then walking out and thinking that, oh yeah, I'm committed. You can't be committed just with that. If I told you a particular restaurant is the best, they have the best chashu in all of Hong Kong, I guarantee you not every one of you will believe me. And I guarantee you, some of you will have your own opinions of what's good. But if I brought you and I bought you that chashu that I'm talking about, and you even allowed me to take a video of you eating it, oh my God, OMG, we'll have proof and evidence that this is the best chashu you've ever had in your life. And then you, you know what you'll do? You won't keep it a secret. You'll turn to someone like, oh my God, Pastor Seth is so ridiculous. Like, remember when he was saying that that chashu is like the best? Oh my God, it is so good. You're going to start, quote unquote, become a chashu evangelist. You're going to start sharing about how good it is. Why? Because you've experienced it. Personal observation. This is the reason why some of you are not committed to Jesus Christ and his cause because you have not experienced it. You just know it up here because you're just interested and you've seen it from the outside, but you've never dove in. You've, you've never given yourself fully to this. 
You don't know the joys of walking with people and helping them to understand. Some of you have never experienced seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ and you lead them in that sinner's prayer and then you get baptized. You baptize them along with the pastors so that you could then say, I know what this feels like because I was there a couple years ago. The people sometimes who are the most passionate about evangelism are the ones who have never known Jesus Christ and they came to know in a powerful way and they want everyone to experience this. That's why I'm going to say it again. Not that I don't like church people. I, I love you guys very much so. But some of you who are church, you don't know what it feels like to be lost. It's like that person who grew up in an environment where everyone knows them, so they don't know what it feels like to be a stranger. Until you go to another country, until you go to a school that you don't know anybody, until you go to a workplace where you don't know anybody, that's when you realize, oh my goodness, like, wow, these people are really mean. They're not saying hello. They're not really kind. Then you'll start coming back and be like, you know what, guys, we got to be friendly. We got to say hi to everybody. Some of you have grew up in our church in the last six years. Guess what? You have been so spoiled because you have a community and you don't know what it feels like not to be a part of a community. So what, nothing moves you. Nothing moves you to be able to reach out to people and to love people. You're just content because everyone has spoiled you over the last several years, four years in college. You sit around and you don't serve. You let the leader serve you. You are interested in Christianity and following Jesus because you get something out of it. But you're not committed. Because when you're committed, it takes time, energy, effort, your life. And when it's inconvenient, uh, <laughs> it's okay. If it kind of fringes on your own personal time, you know what, that's, I'm not going to go to that thing. You're interested, but you're not committed. When was the last time you felt the sense of confidence and can say that I have come to know I've come to know that nothing else in this world will fully satisfy. Some of you might think like, I'm like this lion, you know, coming out, rah, yelling at all of you. You're like, oh my God, I've never seen a pastor just get so, do you know why I get so passionate? Do you know why I'm so excited about these types of things? Because I know what my life was like before I came to know Jesus Christ. And I know where my life would be if I didn't know Jesus Christ. Period. That's why anything with dealing with like evangelism, missions, the loss, like my heart moves. I can get three nights of no sleep and you talk about it, I, I'll get up. I will do whatever. I'm committed. I will lay down my life for this because I know what it's like without having Christ. Other stuff like administration, emails, I, I hate those things. But that's part of being a pastor. You gotta, you gotta respond. <laughs> the disciples knew and they were convicted that Jesus was somebody unique and different from all other religious leaders. He was the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. They spent time with Jesus. They knew from observation, experience. His life substantiated, validated the reality of what he was preaching. 
And the disciples have come to know this and they believe this. How about us this morning? Do you really believe that Jesus is the source of everything in your life? Or are you turning to other things to fill your heart? And it's always coming short. And you're always getting hurt. You're always getting disillusioned. Don't blame other people for your disillusionment. It's your heart that you need to repent. And you need to ask God, forgive me, Lord. I've turned to other things instead of turning to you. Have you experienced Jesus in a personal way, in a powerful way? That you could be fully convinced that this is the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life. I pray that as you get to know more of Jesus, that you will be more convinced of the commitment that you have made to him. That this, ain't, this is not a joke. This is, this is eternal things. I pray that you'll be so much more convicted, so much more committed to what you know and have experienced already. So the one thing, once again, is that our amazement of Jesus fuels our commitment to Jesus. I'm going to quickly give some next steps and then we're going to close here. I was thinking about this message. And I'm like, I don't want you guys to feel as if I'm asking you to commit more, do more stuff. That's not it. But I am challenging you to just pause for a moment and evaluate your life. Look at the totality of what you, what you have lived so far. And some of you will live longer. Some of you will live shorter. We just don't know. Our, our, our life is not in our hands. I've seen people who are so healthy, they eat healthy and they die, die early. There are people who eat ramen at two in the morning and drink coffee and never sleep and they're living till like 90. I, you, you figure. So the Lord, the, the Lord, I mean, I'm not saying you, gotta, you don't have to be healthy anymore, but I'm just simply saying you could do all that you want, but Jesus is the author of life and he will give you how long you will live here on this earth. So as looking at the totality of your life, ask yourself, Am I committed or am I just interested? And if I'm committed, am I going to do anything differently in response to what Jesus did for me? The first thing is this, direct your focus on God's goodness. The more you focus on your failures, the more you focus on like, oh, I got to commit more. You're not going to do it. It's, it's going to be impossible. You got to focus on the goodness of God, how good he has been to you over all these years. How many times you have sinned and turned away from God, but he still loved you. He still received you. He was still patient with you. He should have destroyed you. He should have destroyed all of us. But he continued to show his love patiently like the prodigal son's father, waiting for the son to return. So if there's anything you should focus on when it comes to being committed, you got to focus on the goodness of God. So direct your focus on the goodness of God. The second thing is this. Do a cost-benefit analysis. Hello, finance majors here. Any business majors? Do a cost-benefit analysis and ask yourself, is this really worth it? I love what uh, the French mathematician uh, Blaise Pascal said. There's a famous, some of you know this already, there's this famous thing about the Pascal's wager. Pretty much what he challenges people who are not believers, he challenges them with this. He says, you're going to have to make a choice. And the choice is this, is that you either become a Christian and you live out all the truths of scripture and then later on find out that it was all a farce. It was all a joke. Or you don't live for Christ because you think it's a joke and then later on you find out it's true and you will spend the rest of eternity in hell. What he argues as a mathematician, as he does the cost-benefit analysis, he says simply this, it is far greater 
of a game to be able to follow Christ, even later on when you find out it's all false, because the, your life will be changed. You will treat people better. All the teachings of Jesus tells you to live a life that's completely different. Even if your motivation is wrong, what he's saying is just living these truths, your life will be so much better. But he says, if you don't live for Christ and later on you find out that it is true, then by that time it will be a tremendous loss. And my challenge to some of you who have not made this decision to follow Jesus Christ is to think about that. For the rest of us who are believers, when I talk about cost-benefit analysis, it's simply this. Where would your life be without Christ? Where would your joy, your hope, your faith, your trust, where would it be? Some of you need to revisit your story of what you went through and what Jesus pulled you through out of so do the cost benefit analysis i think that will help you when some of you are trying to decide should i just be interested or should i be committed to this the third thing is this deepen your understanding of the gospel because it is rooted in the gospel you're, you're not going to be just interested when you understand the gospel because it's going to it's going to cause you to be committed because this is something worth giving your life to the fourth is develop a heart of worship I think it really comes down to what you worship. Some of us in this room, we're just interested in Christianity or interested in Christ because there's other stuff we're worshiping. That's why, as I've been saying in the one thing, is that when you are amazed at who just Jesus is because you're worshiping him, you're seeing him from the beauty of who he is, it's going to fuel this commitment to him. You're going to want to commit to him. And lastly, decide to be faithful to your commitment. It's going to require a decision. It doesn't come automatically. You got to make a decision and then you got to live it out. Let me close with this. About a month ago, I uh, received a letter from somebody that I did not recognize their name. And so I opened up the email and I began to read, uh, read it. And uh, like it was very powerful for me because it was during that time about a month ago where we we're trying to get ready for OCR. And I'm just like, man, how many OCRs have I done in my lifetime? like 20-something, almost 30, 30, 30 times the OCR. Some of you are like, I've done it two years. Well, it's so tiring. Don't even go there. I mean, literally, it's almost close to 30, 31 times that I've done OCR. Because even as a youth pastor, we'll have all these outreaches that we would do. And so I was getting a little bit tired. And I was just kind of like, why are we doing all this? And I just totally forgot about my commitment that I made to Jesus, especially when I understood the gospel in a deep way. When I came to know Jesus, it was it was life transforming for me.
So sadly, you could be committed, but you could lose your heart. And that's the amazing part of God. He just, he knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. So he sends this email somehow through this person. I don't even know who he is. And I want to read this email to you. I took out the name so you don't need to know. But I want you to get the gist of the letter. This email. And I just took out some parts that were irrelevant. But this is about 98% of the email that this person sent. He says, Pastor Seth, my name is so-and-so. I've been trying to reconnect with someone who helped me lead, helped me to lead, uh, to, uh, lead me to Christ. I hope this is you. If not, I apologize for the email. As I mentioned earlier, my name is so-and-so, and I got saved in January of 1991. January of 1991, at an oil retreat, which was held in Montrose, Pennsylvania. Man, just reading it again, it's just like... It's like, hey, Grady, I got my shirt. It's good, it's good. He says, at that time, I was only a senior in high school, and my pastor and my mother thought it would be a good idea if I tagged along. Midway through the conference, there was a prayer session, just like there were in every night. Well, I was just sitting there, and if my memory serves me correctly, you were near the mixing console back there. You always think that I was up here all my life. Sometimes it's good to do ministry when you're not even recognized. Some of you always want to be recognized because it's your self-centeredness. But if my memory serves me correctly, you were near the mixing console as you were part of Alpha Omega. Those of you who don't know, I talk about it here and there. It was the gospel band that I was a part of. And you sat next to me. I think we talked about music and bands. Once again, be educate yourself with a diversity of self. You share the gospel with me, then you pray for me. It was that night that I welcomed Jesus into my life. I ran into you a couple of years later at another church. I can't remember if there was a lock-in of some sort. Lock-in is kind of like, you know, like an all-night prayer thing. But I think Alpha Omega was leading the worship and you being the main worship leader. After that night, I never saw you again. Every now and then, I think about you and how you took the time. You took the time to talk to a high schooler 
at a college student retreat. My first few days there, I felt really awkward because I was a high schooler. Number two, I was a Filipino amongst a lot of Koreans. But I felt the love of Christ from everyone there, and I will always praise God for that. After the years passed, I forgot your name. I recently became friends with one of your pastor friends. So I asked him if he knew who I was searching for. He gave me a list of names of people, part of the band back then. After some exploring, I found my way to HMCC. I guess he went through Facebook and he was like stalking. Uh, and I found my way to HMCC. I watched some of your sermons. And although your hairstyle is a bit different, <laughs> I just remember your voice for the time you share the gospel and pray with me. If this is you, I'm glad I finally found you. If not, sorry for taking away some of your time. And praise the Lord for doing his work in Hong Kong. Hope to hear from you soon. Signed, so-and-so. I think it's going to be really hard to hear these types of testimonies when you're just interested. It's only when you're committed because you're convinced fully of this gospel message. And I want to challenge some of us in this room that when we think about these new commitments that we want to make to Jesus, I just pray that it will not be about your own little petty dreams that will not amount to much at the end of the day, but it will be about something that is eternal. And receiving an email like this after what? 30 years so later, and knowing that this person was trying to look for me, I didn't know even who it was. I realized that there are a lot of things that we do in our lives that you don't know the impact. But when you're committed, because you're worshiping Jesus and being amazed at who he is, it's going to fuel your heart to be committed to the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ. I pray that every single one of us, as you're part of our church, that you will give your life to something that is worth so much more that cannot be bought here on this earth. But in heaven, we'll be greatly rewarded for every single sacrifice we made for Jesus Christ. May we live with that kind of hope, with that kind of perspective to be invested and in making new commitments to the things of God. Let's stand together as we close. I'm going to ask us if you could just bow your heads for a moment. Why don't you just take a deep breath, just let the air just go into your lungs and then exhale. That breath was given to you by God. And some of us in this room, we live for so many temporary things that 
You labor and you toil for what? And as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. You could wake up every single morning, go to work, go to school, but for what? I pray that our lives will be marked as the people of God who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how valuable we are to Him. And He didn't do it so we could live for ourselves. It was for His glory, for His kingdom. And what He wanted us to experience. And I think some of you, you got to stop being interested in Christianity and in Christ. I don't care how many times you go to life group, Sunday sermon, all this stuff. I'm telling you right now, if your heart is just interested, you're not going to experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. And I know committing yourself to Jesus is scary because you don't know if God's going to provide. You don't know what's going to happen to your family. You don't know what's going to happen with your future. But that's the joy of walking with Jesus is because if you know His goodness, you know who He is, then He's worthy of our trust. That you could commit your whole life to Him and He will never break your heart. You could commit to Him and He will never let you down. He will never fail. I just pray whatever commitments you already have made, if some of you are thinking of just giving up or feeling discouraged or maybe wondering, is it really worth it all? I want to just let you know, sometimes it might take 30 years later for you to realize that you made an impact in one person's life. So let's not grow weary in doing good, but keep on looking to Jesus. And with this new season of ministry, with this new year, let's give 110%. Let's give everything that we have because we are forever grateful to Jesus and what He has done. So I'm going to ask us right now, if we could just spend a minute or so just in prayer. Just humble yourself. And if your heart has waned over the years, just let Him know. If some of you are feeling tired and weary and committing and doing good, then just let Him know and let Him refresh you. And just... This morning, before you leave this room, let's just receive from God whatever it is that He wants to speak to you. Will you just receive it? Receive it by faith. Trust in Him and believe as He refreshes your heart and helps you to make this commitment once again. That, Lord, here I am. I commit myself to you once again. Come on, let's just lift our voice. Can we just fill this room with prayers? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.